You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, we're going to be talking about what the CISA model is and how to tailor it for teams and enterprise use. With me today is Jason Garbus, founder and principal at Numberline Security and author of Zero Trust Security and Enterprise Guide. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jacob. I'm looking forward to a great conversation today. Glad to have you here. So to start off, can you start by explaining what the CISA Zero Trust Maturity Model is? Yes. So remember that CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is a government agency, and it's part of the umbrella under the uh, Department of Homeland Security. And their mission, of course, is to educate and improve uh, the nation's uh, approach to cybersecurity. And officially, they're, you know, they don't have a mandate, they don't have direct control, but they've become a very influential force in not just the U.S. federal government, but in governments and in commercial enterprises worldwide, just due to the muscle and the energy they put into creating assets and thought leadership components like this zero trust maturity model. So one of the things they've done over the past uh, three, four years is they created a couple of versions of this zero trust maturity model. And it's really become very widely adopted as a standardized way of thinking about and organizing the, the different pillars of zero trust. Um, and it's it's really spawned a lot of, um, I would say, almost like an ecosystem of articles and frameworks and things around that. And that's terrific because zero trust is such a broad strategy that in many cases, organizations are struggling to make sense of it. And they kind of feel like they're swimming in an ocean of noise. Mm -hmm. And what the system model does is gives everyone a common framework to say, okay, this is how we're going to think about things. So how does the uh, the system model differ from other popular cybersecurity frameworks? Uh, and are you seeing it used more commonly? Uh, we definitely are. Um, I was on a, a webcast not too long ago with folks from CISA and folks from the US Department of Defense talking about the different models. And it really became a a, a really good open discussion because it's not, you know, uh, this versus that necessarily. These things are are oftentimes complementary, and no one, you know, can or should get into to arguments or fistfights about about one versus the other. Um, we've definitely seen the system model kind of take root, especially in the private sector, as mm -hmm. the way to do this. But we've also we also encourage enterprises and organizations to adapt this as well because every enterprise is different and. The framework and the principles are sound. The specific steps for advancing along each of these pillars are going to be different for each enterprise. And the end point, the end goals are going to be different for each enterprise as well. Mm -hmm. I see. Very interesting. And what are some of the key components or, or stages of the system model? And um, why are each of them important? What the system model does is it organizes the, the the maturity model into five core pillars and then three what are called cross-cutting concerns. And the visual they have is this Grecian temple with five pillars and then three layers in the foundation. And the five pillars are identity, devices, networks, applications and workloads, and data. And mm -hmm. with the and the three cross-cutting concerns are visibility and analytics, automation and orchestration and governance. And in a well thought out kind of comprehensive enterprise security model, there will be sub approaches and structures and processes around each of those things. Um, mm -hmm. And within the pillars, what the system model does is identified uh, a number of factors or elements. And there's about seven or eight elements for each of those where 
it's a finer grained way of breaking down, for example, identity or devices and looking at things like authentication or identity stores or access management. And then that gives organizations the ability to measure their capabilities along that much finer grained pathway. And then to be able to plot out and plan for each of those elements, how do I get to the next step? Where am I where am I strong? Where am I weak? Where should I invest? And how do I advance from you know, kind of one a le- level one, so to speak, to a level two in in those specific areas? Mm-hmm. So, how can businesses and organizations um, effectively implement zero trust uh, using the the system model? Do you think, do you think it's a uh, it's with all the pillars? Is it a very comprehensive approach? Zero trust is a, is a security strategy, so it should be comprehensive at least in at least in your minds and in your strategy and. This is a balancing act because as a strategy and as as you kind of digest the five pillars and these three these three bottom layers, you can you can get a little lost and say, you know, this is this is everything in my organization. And kind of one answer to that is, well, our enterprises are all almost exclusively, you know, digitally or digital or digitally supported at this point. So your IT infrastructure is comprehensive and you need to have a comprehensive security model. Now at the same time, I really highly encourage enterprises to think strategically, but act tactically and focus on delivering business value as quickly as you can. We all love security, right? We work in this space and we we know the inherent and the implicit value that adopting zero trust will bring. But in order to get organizational support and budget and to get momentum and support for the process changes and the user experience changes and the infrastructure changes, and in some cases, additional budget that is necessary to do this, we need to show, hey, this isn't just you know, the next generation of VPN and that's going to be a security thing. This is actually going to allow us to have some more business agility. We can adopt, we can securely adopt new technologies. We can take this business process that now takes us 10 days and we can shrink it down to three hours. We can securely onboard new users we can open up new lines of business and drive top line revenue. So I really encourage security leaders to, as much as we love talking about technology and evaluating tools, let's focus on what the mission is for your organization and then uh, see the right ways to tie security to be an enabler to better accomplish those missions and to do that using a zero trust approach. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the challenges that teams might be facing uh, when they're trying to implement zero trust? A common challenge is that organizations have a lot of complexity in their environment, and they often don't have enough visibility to be able to um, to approach uh, to approach zero trust. And the the biggest challenge I've seen is the desire to do too much too quickly um, and to to try to solve every problem before they deploy the first user into production. And it's much much better to have a smaller scope and say, you know what? I'm going to pick this resource or this protect surface, and I'm going to make sure that I've got an end-to-end solution for, let's say it's my uh, my financial management system. I know who the users are for that. I know what the transaction flows look for that. And I can set up a zero trust pathway or architecture. Even though it's narrowly focused, it does a great job of securing access for those 25 or 50 or 100 users who need that. And now that protect surface is locked down, it's tied into my identity processes, and I've got dynamic policies that control access based on user and device context. That's a really great way to get started. And it helps enterprises avoid the, the trap of 
uh, analysis paralysis or the the, tr- the 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 swamp of having to check every single box uh, before they can deploy the first set of users. I see. Yeah. So it seems like it's a it's an observability issue at first, right? Because of the complexity in these environments. That's definitely an aspect of it. When organizations, when we go through these evaluations and and we ask questions like, okay, what resources do you have on your network? What users are accessing those resources? And in many cases, the answer is we don't know, right? Our organization Mm -hmm. doesn't have a comprehensive CMDB or asset management system or things like that. And that's, you know, and that's okay, right? It's everyone is, it's a, this your trust is kind of a come as you are party. So if you've got weaknesses or areas that they don't have visibility, that's okay. You don't need to solve all those problems at once. Let's, as we go through these evaluations, what I recommend is either find an area of strength and leverage that or find an area of weakness that's a real pain point for the organization. So even if you take some process or some aspect and you go from very weak to you know only a little weak, that's an improvement and can show real value to the business. And you can do those things right. and get those gains very quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, are there any aspects in any of the the pillars that that you find that particularly stand out? Um, identity, of course, is always uh, an important one, um, mm-hmm. as is as is the networking side of things. Um, identity is important because it touches all the users in the organization, and there are always going to be business processes around that for the onboarding and the offboarding of users. And that's identity is complicated, mm-hmm. but it also has the opportunity to really improve the user experience. Networking mm-hmm. side of things, um, usually what happens is enterprises of any size tend to have very complex networks because they tend to have um, accumulated, oftentimes, technical debt, or they have a variety of solutions from different vendors that they built up over time, maybe through acquisition or because they have some distributed procurement models or things like that. And what a zero trust solution can help enterprises do is simplify the management of that by acting as a secure encrypted overlay on top of that network. Mm-hmm. So you can get out of the, the problem of, well, I've got hardware and management network management systems from vendor A over here and from vendor B over there. And I'm on this three-year hardware up, upgrade cycle that are offset. So I'm kind of stuck. What you can do is you can say, you know what, deploy a zero trust solution. And you just get rid of some of the complexity of trying to get security policy parity across those two vendors and you manage it from the software layer on top i see interesting um can you go into a little bit more about the uh the identity um pillar part that you were talking about like what what you're seeing in that space sure thing um one big part of uh identity of course is authentication and Mm -hmm. that's oftentimes not only the front lines of protecting our organizations but the front lines of user experience and it's a really exciting area because you think about the new types of modern identity platforms that are web-based and standards-based and the new set of really easy to use and easy to deploy phishing-resistant MFAs. So moving away from SMS-based text messages toward authenticator apps or toward FIDO2-based hardware devices. Um, those types of things are much more secure from, uh, from a mm-hmm. security perspective or from a... Uh, uh, preventing uh, phishing, uh, I should say phishing resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really are, they're kind of fun for people to use, right? People are used to yeah. using their smartphones for authenticating. So when you tie that into uh, an enterprise system and when you move to a passwordless model, you become, uh, it becomes much easier to use and it becomes more resilient along the way from uh, the security perspective. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely ready for the password light, <laughs> passwordless days to, to, to come just to unlock things with my face or just fingerprint. <laughs> yeah, that'll exactly. Be, that'll be the time. Yeah. Okay. So is the, uh, the system model something that's constantly evolving and organizations have to keep up to date on? Um, so the CISA has takes a measured approach to this. Um, they released the first version in, I believe it was 2021, uh, 2020, 2021. And then they spent a couple of years uh, getting uh, public comment from both uh, enterprises and government stakeholders. And then they released version two just in April of this year. Um, at this point, I don't believe they're planning to, to release either an update or version three. What they are doing is continuing to have supporting and complementary artifacts. So mm -hmm. I would say the answer is that um, I wouldn't expect any, certainly any major changes um, or an evolution. I think the pillars are all sound. And really this isn't, these aren't, these things aren't carved in stone. Uh, what they are is they have a really, they, they exist as a really solid foundation that enterprises can and should take and modify mm -hmm. and adapt for their organization. So you look at, for example, the identity pillar, and CISA has identified those seven assets or the seven aspects, which are going to be relevant to every enterprise. Now, they might be highly relevant or less relevant, and that's up to the enterprise to decide. And within each of those, there are steps that along the maturity model and kind of the art of this, the art of running a, a zero trust initiative and enterprise is saying, OK, within the authentication layer, within the access layer, within the device management layer, um, how do what's relevant to my enterprise? Where am I? How do I get from the next step? And where should I prioritize these things? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, very interesting. So, if anything, you're you're expecting perhaps um, amendments or so to version uh, two. I, I, I think so. I think, right? I think what we'll see is a set of templates and playbooks, and mm -hmm. uh, I'll say design patterns or reference architectures that might say things like, if your organization looks like this, this is how you can and should interpret these. Okay. If it looks like that, you might have, you will have a different set of priorities. So for example, yeah. if you're an enterprise that is very highly SaaS-based, you mostly just use SaaS applications, you don't really have on-premises infrastructure, and of course you would use a, a cloud-based identity provider, mm -hmm. the zero trust pathway would look completely different from if you're a manufacturing organization and you have a big complicated enterprise network and maybe you're using DevOps as an experimental thing. Those mm -hmm. two pathways would look very okay. different. Yeah, I see. Um, so thank you so much for your insight. Is there any other thoughts or a key takeaway for our uh, audience on how they could use the CISA Zero Trust model? Yeah, I would encourage folks to take the time to read the, the CISA document. It's, it's very, it's easy to understand. It's well-written. Uh, and then also take the time to think about where does your organization fit in the maturity model? There's some great tools out there to help you do that, uh, great free tools to help you do your, your self-assessment. Um, and then carefully and thoughtfully uh, plan for adopting and going down this zero trust pathway, but really do that with a couple of things in mind. One is, how is what you're doing going to benefit your organization from a business or a mission perspective? Uh, and number two, what rapid uh rapidly deployed projects are there in your organization mm -hmm. where you can show momentum uh, and deliver value and start to reduce some of this complexity uh, and then finally number three is don't forget the basics we love we on the security side love talking about dynamic policies and things that automatically adjust and security as code and things like that but mm -hmm. 
make sure that your organization is doing the absolute requirement, uh, the absolute basics, which are things like having MFA in place, <clears throat> having your data backed up and testing the, re the restoration process, mm -hmm. having a reasonably good identity management processes for onboarding and offboarding users. Well, looks like that's all the time we have for today's show. And I want to thank you again for coming on. Great. Thank you. Great. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform.